Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. We are a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. If you'd like to find out more information about the church, you can visit our website. That information will be given to you at the end of this devotional. Today is uh, Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. This is edition number 151 of season 8. We're still looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm beginning to think through what I may do for Season 9. I have not yet arrived at any conclusions. I've had some suggestions, um, but I'm also thinking about some other ways in which I can marry up various things that I'm doing here at the church at Providence and in Evansville. So stay tuned. We're still a long way away from Season 8 being completed, so there's no reason to rush or get too excited about anything at this point. However, for now, for this morning, we are in chapter 27 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're dealing, still dealing with matters pertaining to the sacraments. We come to paragraph number 3. Indeed, paragraph 3 and 4 has sparked a controversy within the church. I'm going to give you my view of this. You may or may not agree. That is certainly up to you. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, we will indeed cover what that controversy is. Let's pray first, and then we'll consider paragraph number three. Father, as we come now to your word, and we come to these summary expressions that are given to us in this confession, we pray that you would use it by your spirit, that you would train and teach us by your word. We ask that your spirit would give us grace, that we would understand these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, paragraph number three reads, The grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used is not conferred by any power in them, Neither doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the piety or intention of him that doth administer it, but upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution, which contains, together with a precept authorizing the use thereof, a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. Now, there is much here to consider. Let's just dive right in here and note how paragraph 3 is closely aligned with paragraph number 2. If paragraph number two was teaching that baptism actually saves the Lord's Supper by simply getting wet, if the Lord's Supper actually saves in the sense that you take the meal and now you're in the kingdom of God, then paragraph number three's opening line would uh, make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So the divines at Westminster, they were not confused as to the, the right view of the sacraments when they say the grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used is not conferred by any power in them. I tell my congregation this all the time. Uh, there is no magic here. This is not God's grand magic act uh, that he is giving to the church to keep us busy on the Lord's Day, either by baptism or the Lord's Supper and some Lord's Day both. No, uh, the grace is not conferred just merely because one gets wet or by merely because someone comes to the Lord's table. No, it must be it must be apprehended by faith as we approach the meal. And so we don't put our faith in the water. We don't put our faith in the bread. We don't put our faith in the cup, the wine. We put our faith in he who gave these things to us. And it's only by the presence of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in these sacraments, that we find grace to help us. And so it goes on to say, neither doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the piety or intention of him that doth administer it. Now, uh, many different uh, views. Are, are, uh, this is where the controversy comes in in the life of the church. 
Romans chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. First Peter 3.21, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is talking about the recipient of baptism, but uh, Romans chapter 2 again is talking about the matter, matters of the heart. Now it is certainly true that um, the efficacy of a sacrament doesn't depend upon the piety or intention of the one who's administering it. So I hate to tell you this, maybe you knew this already, but your pastor, who is the only one, frankly, that is, has the right uh, to administer the sacrament of baptism of the Lord's Supper, a man lawfully and rightly ordained under the rubric of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in the Wednesday edition. But he is the only one in the church that is able to do these things, perform these functions as he acts as a one who is ministering in the name of Christ. But he is not a perfect person. He is not Jesus. He, has, he is not sinless himself. He did not die for you. He did not raise from the dead for you. He has not ascended to, uh, to God the Father for you. Uh, he is simply acting as an intermediary, uh, intermediate. Uh, he is mediating for you the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens if your pastor had a particularly difficult week? Perhaps he fell into some grievous sin and has yet to deal with that sin, whatever it may be. Well, does that mean that that child that's baptized on that Lord's Day isn't really baptized? Does that mean that the Lord's Supper you participated in by faith it wasn't really the Lord's Supper? You, you were just going through the motions because the one who administered it, it uh, wasn't in, in a place he ought to be by living a life of repentance and dependence upon God. He has fallen in some capacity. Obviously, that's all ridiculous. Every one of the men who are ordained to the ministry of the gospel are fallen people. They sin. They sin daily in thought, word, and deed, and they need to be dealing with that. And sometimes those falls, those sins, are more egregious or more important, more, of more consequence than others. But it doesn't change the efficacy of the sacrament because the efficacy of the sacrament doesn't depend upon him. It depends upon the Spirit of God who gave it. And that is to where we look and that is to where we trust. Imagine the frustration that would come from members of the church as they sit there holding the elements in their hand, worrying and fretting about whether their pastor is walking on water or walking some sinless life. I'm just going to take you off the hook right now. He didn't do any of those things. He is a man just like you. He is in need of that sacrament just like you. And so it doesn't depend upon the piety or even the intention of the one who's giving it. Maybe your pastor is up there thinking about all sorts of things he ought not be thinking about. Perhaps his motives and are misplaced, misguided. Again, does not change the efficacy of the sacrament because it comes from the Spirit of God, and that is to which it depends, and it only depends on Him. And that's exactly what it says when it says, but, a contrast, regardless of this, it only depends upon the work of the Spirit, the word of institution, that is to say the word of God itself as read prior to these sacraments being given, which contain in them 
a precept authorizing the use thereof. And so we, we see this in uh, Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28, where Jesus administers the sacrament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is teaching on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Presumably, there are men who are lawfully ordained uh, that are administering these sacraments, and they ought to give to the congregation the precept that authorizes them to stand in that place and minister in the name of Christ. And that's why, at least in the Presbyterian Church in America, I am, I am obligated to read the words of institution prior to the administration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Why? Because the authority isn't rooted in me. It is rooted in the Spirit of God who gave those words to the comfort and guidance of His people. A promise of benefit to worthy receivers. Now, you might think, well, what is a worthy receiver of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in particular? Well, our shorter catechism does help us with this when it says, what is required to the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? This is question number 97. It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves of their knowledge to, to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon Him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment to themselves." Now, we're going to take these matters up more, in more detail when we get to the chapter on the Lord's Supper, but just to suffice any curiosity that may be out there, what is it that makes you worthy? Well, frankly, nothing. You aren't worthy. Neither am I. I need the words of institution and the precept of, as given in God's Word to bring comfort to me that as an unworthy sinner, I have been invited to that table um, by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And so it doesn't depend on your pastor. It doesn't depend on his frame of mind. It doesn't depend on his, his good intentions or lack of good intention. It depends only upon the Spirit of God to bring the efficacy of these things uh, to those who participate by faith and trust in the Savior. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Wednesday edition, when we look at paragraph number four, and we really deal with the controversy, uh, may the Lord help you today. May you strive to serve him. God bless.